0: Well, my name is Stephen. I'm the young adult pastor here. And tonight we're going to continue our series on great faith that Pastor June kicked off and the theme of our fasting and prayer for this week. And tonight I want to draw your attention to a shocking statement, a counterintuitive statement, a statement that goes against everything that is inherent to us. A statement that is hard to swallow. And because it is such a challenging statement in the book of James, we're going to talk about two explanations for this statement and then an explanation for the explanations for the shocking statement. (laughs) And my goal tonight, with the help of the Holy Spirit speaking through me, opening up our ears, is to get you to believe this shocking statement, to treasure this shocking statement, to wholeheartedly cling to it during difficult times that you face. If you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The title of this message is Tested Faith. Count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there it is right at the outset. Verse 2, James gives his little introduction to the saints, the Old Testament, uh, I'm sorry, the Hebrew Christians who are kind of scattered throughout. They're scattered outside of Israel. In the very second verse, he gets right to the meat of his letter. And he says this it's a verse that you've probably heard of if you've been going to church for a while, or maybe even if you're new to church. It's a verse that's very popular, that's preached about a lot. But tonight, I don't want you to miss how shocking this statement really is. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. That goes against everything that we're told, that we experience, that we want to believe and do. And if we understand trials as bad things that happen to us, why on earth would we want to count it all joy when bad things happen to us? Do you see the the seemingly inconsistent, statement there. Everything in our culture is set up to make us feel as good as possible as much of the time as possible. Now, I am one of the rare people who grew up here in Northern Virginia, okay? There's probably a few of us. When I was growing up, and this was only 10 years ago, there was... I'm about to tell a story like I'm 60 years old, but I'm—I'm—you know, this is 10 years ago in high school. There were three entertainment options. You had Regal Countryside Stadium in Sterling, that was the movie theater that you went to. You had Dulles Town Center, and if you were really cool, you went to Ultra Zone, which was Laser Tech. And what you would do is every Friday night you would rotate those three activities. In fact, I met some people in West Virginia. At a tennis tournament, I asked him, What do you guys do around here? He said, Well, we go to Dulles Town Center, an hour away. The entertainment options were limited, but now if you take a stroll down Route 7, welcome to the entertainment mecca of the world, of suburbia at least, right? I mean, you go down Route 7, you have this place that seemed like it was lowered from like, outer space in top golf where even if you're a bad golfer, you can be a good golfer in a heated bay with a waiter bringing you you drinks and food while you hit golf balls. It's described on the website as every visit feels like a party. (laughs) You may not have known that the largest indoor ropes course is coming to Loudoun County in the whole United States in a few weeks. At one point... If you were lucky enough to go skydiving, it was something you saved up a lot of money for. I mean, it was like the highlight of your life. But now you can go down Route 7 and go to iFly, and your dream of sky, from falling from the sky can actually happen indoors. Okay, now there's another place, Alamo Drafthouse, which has taken movies to a whole other level. It used to be that you would either take your date to dinner or a movie. And if you were really balling, you would do both. <laughs> One after the other. But now you can do it all at once. Just don't text or pull out your phone or you will get kicked out of the movie theater. And then maybe some of you guys have experienced the new attraction at One Loudon that was a special Christmas edition of Light Up Fest for this mere price of $30 per person, which for a family of five, you can do the math. A young adult pastor does not have that kind of cash, y'all. One million Christmas lights. Why you need to see one million Christmas lights, I don't know. But no longer do you have to drive to D.C. to see the Capitol lit up. You can see a model, a life-size model right there on Route 7. And you know, food and drinks, same kind of thing. I mean, we all love our Starbucks, but there are 133 Starbucks in Nova. I know this because this morning on Google Google Maps, I counted every single one. (laughs) Because God forbid we would have to drive 10 minutes for a cup of coffee. We need convenience and comfort in our grasp at all times, in every possible moment. In every shopping center that's being built, I feel like there was a law that was enacted that every shopping center must have a kava Chipotle, a Panera, and a Wegmans the size of a shopping mall in it. (laughs) You can see from our culture that we are trying to do whatever we can to avoid any kind of heartache, to avoid any kind of pain. And you know, it's not much different in the church either. While we would like to think that oftentimes we come to church to worship God and it's about Him, that same consumer mindset has crept into the church. Who's preaching this Sunday? Let me call the church office and find out. And if it's not Pastor Brett, this might be a good Sunday to stay home. (laughs) Are they singing my favorite songs at 7.15 or Sunday morning? If not, maybe I'll keep my hands down to the side because this really isn't my jam. Or will they provide pizza tonight at 7.15? Darn it, we're fasting this week. They're not going to. (laughs) Oh, and some of you are still trying to get over the fact that there was no pizza here tonight. But in light of the consumer-driven, pleasure-seeking culture we live in, how do we interpret the bad things that we experience? Well, we can avoid them. And we try our best to do that. I mean, when I go to the grocery store, I have this issue where I can't turn off the strategic lobe of my brain. So I will examine the four counters and calculate how many people are standing in each line, evaluate the attendant that's checking the groceries, how experienced they may or may not be, count the items in each person's shopping cart, and commit to a line only to see another line is moving faster and switch over to that line because we want to avoid inconvenience. We want to avoid pain. We can also complain about our pain, our boss, our commute, our spouse. We can bury, we can bury the difficult things that come our way. That's why we're afraid to join a small group That's why we're afraid to get close to anybody, lest they actually see our pain and we might have to deal with it. Or we are oftentimes devastated by these things that come to us that we experience, and we end up leaving a church when we're offended, or getting out of a relationship, or moving on as quickly as we possibly can. And in light of all those things, James gives us this shocking statement that when you meet trials, Of various kinds. When you experience difficult things, count it all joy. So, James, you're gonna have to explain that one for us tonight. Here's where the two explanations come in. The first is in the meaning of the word trial. And perhaps before we talk about what a trial is, we should talk about what a trial is not. A trial is not temptation. Like when you're sitting in front of your computer and you're tempted to look at something or you're tempted to go somewhere you shouldn't go, that is not a trial. That's a temptation. And God is not responsible for tempting us. We can't sin and then say, God, man, you were really putting me through a test on that one. Because James goes on later to say in this chapter, in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So trial is not a temptation. But you know, trial is, is bigger than just bad things happening. And when I came to this passage, in my mind, bad circumstances equaled trial. But James actually defines what a trial is. Look at verse 3. Counter all joy when you, fall, when you encounter various trials for the testing of your faith. So what is a trial? A trial is a testing of your faith. He uses that phrase as a synonym for trial. It's an attempt to learn the nature or character of something. It's an attempt by God to learn the nature or character of something, of faith. It's not bad luck. It's not just a happenstance. It's a divine moment of testing. And in those divine moments of testing, God is not making us sin. If he's testing us, he's not the cause for our heartache, for our pain. Because the question that we have to ask is, if God is testing our faith with this job that went south or with this relationship that went south, is God take delight in causing me pain? No. No. No, because we, when we come to a passage like this, have to bring in all of our theology, what the whole Bible says about who God is, and bring it into this passage. And James, later on in chapter 1 and verse 16, he gives a verse, a couple of verses about the nature of God. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. This is who our God is. He is a loving, compassionate Father. He is a God who gives good gifts in the same way that I don't intentionally cause harm to my three kids. God doesn't delight in causing harm to us. He doesn't cause harm to us. But he will sovereignly allow the effects of our sins The effects of others' sins and the effects of this broken world to shape and to mold us, to test us, to test our faith. The first explanation James gives for why we should count it all joy is that when we face difficult, painful, uncomfortable circumstances, these are more than just bad events. They are moments divinely orchestrated by God to test our faith. That means God is behind them. God is doing something in them. They're not random. There's a purpose. And sometimes just knowing that what you're going through, there's a purpose. Even if you don't know what that purpose is, makes it all the more easy to go through. them. But here's the second explanation. We should count it all joy for various trials because of what the testing of our faith produces. It produces steadfastness. Now, depending on the translation you're using, your favorite translation, that word could be steadfastness, it can be endurance, it can be patience. But the idea here is the capacity to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty. That's what God is producing in us through trials, the ability to bear up, to hold something. And that tested faith produces endurance. Now, the problem is we are prone to take the easy way out. It's why none of us signed up for a marathon, even though we know that a marathon would increase our endurance. You can take your marathon. I'm not running it. I don't love endurance that much. It's why if we have a choice between the cheese fries and the Brussels sprouts, that's a really easy decision. We're going with the cheese fries. It's why we change lanes, change grocery lines, change jobs, change churches, even change spouses. Because as much as we hate change, we hate having to endure more. So God allows these divinely orchestrated moments of testing to develop an endurance in us that we wouldn't otherwise choose to experience why do we need this endurance so badly i mean many of you all here experienced trials or are experiencing a trial that the temptation is to say you know what I'll leave endurance behind. I just want to get out of this trial. Why would we embrace? Why would we count it all joy, the trials that we're facing? We needed an explanation for these explanations, because endurance is never an end in of itself. No runner has a goal of just enduring. The endurance serves for a purpose. And the purpose is to finish the race. So the ultimate goal isn't endurance. The ultimate goal is what the endurance carries you through. That's the finish line. That's the prize. And here's the, here's the prize, James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, informs us of. Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God is after us being perfect complete and lacking in nothing, that's a pretty daunting goal. That seems like a finish line that is out of our grasp. And that word perfect, I looked it up. In the original language, it means perfect. (laughs) It's not a typo. And Jesus said the same thing. James is borrowing this from Jesus because Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, as a part of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So God has this ultimate goal for us to be perfect, to perfectly reflect his character and his nature. That's the goal. That's what he's trying to bring us to. But he's not willing to just let us get there when we die. He's bringing us into that path now. He's starting that process now. He wants us to be complete, perfect and complete. Now, when I was in high school, I took a class called advanced PE. It was about as hard as it sounded. And part of our routine for this class, we were graded on uh, shooting basketball. I don't know what we were graded on, to be honest. Um, that's like one of those things, if you don't get an A in advanced PE, you might as well just start over. But when I was in advanced PE, we would lift weights for the first 45 minutes of the class. You can tell I took the class very seriously. And there was one guy in the class who uh, would always, I mean, four times a week when we were in this class, he was always bench pressing. I mean, this guy's just massive upper body, right? I mean, nobody could get on the bench. He was Mr. Bench. And One day I just, you know, I asked him, I'm, I'm a rookie in there, I just say, man, tell me, what, what's going on with this bench press? It's like, you, you kind of have like this love affair with this. And he said, man, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a great secret. He said, this is the one machine that when the girls walk into their locker room, they can see through the windowpane door. It's the only machine they can see, my brother. That's why that machine is mine. I said, touche, my brother, touche. But this, this guy never worked out anything but his upper body. And as a result, he got the nickname, not from me, mind you, but from others. Mr. Potato Head. Because if you've ever seen a Mr. Potato Head, it has a, you know a, a body, but it has no legs. It's just shoes attached to a potato. And so this guy was Jack Diesel, upper body, but he had no legs. He wasn't complete. I really hope this analogy is going to work. But God is not interested in Mr. Potato Head Christians. He's looking for a wholeness, a completion. And many of us can spend hours in the presence of God, but we can't go two minutes in the presence of our kids without losing our patience. We can teach the scriptures. We can expound it and impress everyone in our small group. But we don't obey anything that we say. And as a result, we look like Mr. Potato Head. We look massively gifted and anointed in one area, but completely under, underdeveloped and incomplete in other areas. And God wants to fix that. And he uses trials to do it. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So every quality that God possesses that Pastor Brett has so beautifully been going through in our, our Fruit of the Spirit series, the Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those qualities of God, the fruit of the Spirit, He wants to develop in us so that we look like Him. And it is an impossible goal for us to experience fully now. It is a goal that we will experience. It is a finish line that those of us in Jesus Christ will experience completely. James says in James chapter 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So there's a crown reserved for those who have their faith in Jesus. There's a completion. That's called glorification, a big word. It's basically when Jesus comes back or when you die, if you know Jesus Christ, your body, your natural body, will be resurrected. Your body will be glorified. You'll be complete. You'll be perfect. You'll reflect perfectly the image of uh, of God that was tarnished with sin. Everything will be restored. But James doesn't want to wait for you to die to start that process. Because then how would others see the God that you serve? Do you think that Christians are the only one the only ones who are getting furloughed or the only ones who are getting sick or the only ones experiencing marriage issues. No, these trials are common to every human being as a part of being in a fallen world. All of us experience trials, even those who aren't Christians. And every day, unbelievers face a trial and fail them. How, how could they succeed? Because they can't see past the trial for who's behind it. And yet... If we do the same thing, if we fail our trials, if we don't move closer to maturity, to completion, how will they know the God that we serve? It's like the kid in in class who fails a test. He's not going to go to the other kid who failed a test for help. He's going to go to the kid who got an A on the test. And your coworkers, your friends, your family are looking at how you respond to trials and they're asking themselves the question, is there anything different about this person? Because I know what happens when somebody's kid leaves their home. I know the natural response. I know the natural response, says your unbelieving neighbor, when a child gets diagnosed with cancer. But how does a Christian face that? With joy. With joy. And that process of becoming perfect and complete is a process that begins now. It's called sanctification. And some of us, it's the process of being conformed in the image of Jesus. Some of us think that process is all about us, which make makes weeks like today or this week really, really painful and hard and difficult because we in of ourselves are trying to make ourselves more holy with enough Bible reading and enough prayer and enough fasting. Darn it, I ate this morning, I got to press through, I got to overcome. And what we don't realize is that this process of sanctification is not just us on our own. It's the Holy Spirit at work as well. There's others of us who are saying, God, we're waiting for you to deliver us. You're waiting, we're waiting for you to free us from this sin. And I'm just going to sit here on my couch and eat my Cheetos. And when you show up and decide to move, I'm ready for you. But the other side of the coin is there's these things called spiritual disciplines, like what we're doing this week, where we're humbling ourselves. We're seeking God. There's a responsibility that we have. If you could put up that slide. This is called the golden triangle of sanctification. Was, I'm borrowing this from someone named Dallas Willard philosopher, theologian. Do we have a slide? Maybe not. Um, It's up. Okay. So the daily disciplines, reading the Bible, prayer. Then you have the Holy Spirit, the grace of God that's enabling us to grow. But the problem is sometimes we don't grow fast enough. We only have 30 years or 70 years or 90 years on this earth, and God needs to accelerate the pace of our transformation. We have a long way to go to perfection. Perfection. And God is kind of running out of time. So he hits the divine, the, the divine accelerator being trials. And that has a way of getting us to where we need to be, of being, being an accelerator or being brakes to our spiritual growth. What are your trials? Are they an accelerator to the purposes of God in your life, of God conforming you into the image of of himself? Or are they breaks? Where you experience something, you lose your faith, your faith is tested, you crumble, and you get stuck. God wants them to be an accelerator for you. Pastor Tiffany, our worship pastor who led us this morning, or this evening, shared a story at our staff meeting of a woman who got a call from a scammer phone on the phone. And she quickly realized that this was a scammer. And so she told the... And now, what do all of us do? We hang up the phone. Okay, the most holy of us hang up the phone without saying anything. Maybe others of us get very frustrated. I won't tell you what category I'm in. But this woman, when she got the phone call and realized it was a scammer, she said to the scammer, You know what? I know you must be in a really difficult place to be doing this can I pray for you? She started ministering to the, to the person on the phone. The person gave their life to Jesus Christ. You'll, you'll never answer a scam call again the same way after hearing that story. But that's a person who's experienced the trials of life and something has been developed in her so that others, when she faces a, a test, it's an opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus. We can count it all joy, according to James, because our trials are God-ordained moments of testing. He's behind them. And he's producing something in us. He's producing an endurance. And it's an endurance that leads to perfection. It's an endurance that leads to completeness so that the world who desperately needs to see Jesus can see Jesus now through our lives. We count it all joy by not looking at the trial, but looking through it to what God is producing in us, to his ultimate aim, to his ultimate end. So tonight in closing, I want to give you three very practical ways to count it all joy. The first, very practical, some of us tonight need to just choose to stay to stare that trial in the face, and to endure, and to endure with joy. We can get out of our trials, but if we do, we miss what God is trying to accomplish in us and through us. Secondly, real practical, take five minutes a day and thank God for your trials. Start thanking God. Start praising him for that very thing that has annoyed you and has been the source of your pain. Start praising him for that. Praise him not for the trial in of itself. None of us get excited about hard times, but you thank him for what he's doing in you. You start worshiping him, and it starts changing who you are. Starts conforming you into the image of Christ. And now all of a sudden, that trial that may have needed to be five years, might be three years or one year or three months. Because God allows us to experience what we need because we're participating with him. And then lastly, third suggestion for a practical way to count it all joy. During this fast, maybe this is a moment to change our prayers Most of us pray, God, take it away. These five days, I'm fasting, I'm crying out for a new job, for a new boss. Lord, if they got the pink slip tomorrow, I wouldn't be upset. But it's in your will, Lord. It's up up to you. But maybe God wants to change our prayers to ask him to reveal to us what he's trying to produce in us through these trials during these next couple days of the fast, asking God, God, what are you producing in me? How can I cooperate with that? How can I invite that character, that aspect of your character into my life through this trial, amen? Father, we thank you for the trials that we go through. It It seems counterintuitive. It seems upside down. But Lord, we count it all joy. You know, in these last two minutes that we have, I want to encourage you, just in your own words, to pray to God right now. To lift up that trial to him that perhaps you've been trying to avoid, that you've been complaining about, that trial that maybe you've suppressed, and instead, give it over to him. Ask him to reveal what he's doing in the midst of that trial. Ask him to give you the endurance to go through it in victory. Father, we thank you that you are a sovereign God and tonight we embrace our trials. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to follow the example of Jesus and to endure suffering with joy.